piece there. I'm gonna go find Swawa and get this over with. It's time to do it. Then we'll see how brave the rest of them are. Either Swalwell Swalwell or Nadler has to die before the election. They need to get the message. Yeah, just not putting up with this again. Our source told us that this was not a one-off conversation, nor was it in jest. Our source told us Stone was talking about taking specific actions on these plans. Quote, Roger spent election day and the months prior calling for acts of violence. It was definitely concerning that he was constantly planning violence with an NYPD officer and other militia groups. In addition to his social media post, Stone denied ever making these comments in a statement to Mediaite prior to our publishing the story. He told us, quote, total nonsense. I've never said anything of the kind, more AI manipulation. You asked me to respond to audios that you don't let me hear and you don't identify a source for, absurd. However, his associate Sal Greco did not deny the comments, telling us, quote, I don't think your reader is interested in ancient political fodder. Yep, Roger Stone, once again, showing who he is, a malevolent actor in our nation's politics, got a pardon from Donald Trump. Well, guess what? He's not going to get pardoned out of this one. That is him actually talking to former New York Police Department Detective Sal Greco about assassinating members of Congress just weeks before the 2020 election. We're going to probably talk a lot more about that with our guests this week. But this is who Roger Stone is. If you've forgotten, I, I always think of this clip of Roger Stone sitting in a deposition for a lawsuit against him. Look carefully at this person. This is the person who's saying it's all made up. Okay, I'm going to ask him. I have no obligation to do that, and I'm not going to do it. Certified. Yes, please do. You can ask your individual questions like you did yesterday. Well, take, a, take an opportunity, Mr. Stone. We have time to review to the read, affidavit. I'm not, I'm not going to read your biography. And, and tell me, I'm not tell me whether anything's inaccurate. I'm not going to read your biography and all of your asinine claims because you're an egomaniac. I'm just not going to do that. If you have a specific question, right, we'll, we'll go to the court about it. I agree. Let's go to the court about it. I want to do that. Your reputation here is well known. Stop. Well known. Stop. I'm asking you. You can take your time. Go through it paragraph by crap. Paragraph. Tell I'm me not, if anything's inaccurate. I'm not going to do that. We went. We said. went through this yesterday. Mr. We didn't. Go, I didn't ask it that. He way. likes to hear his biography. It makes him feel important. Okay. okay. Certified. Yes. Please do. I'd like to speak to the judge myself about this. Better do it quick. Before you're disbarred. Stop. 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 Mr. Clayman. No further stop. questions. I've this deposition is concluded for now, subject to my going back and moving the court to produce all the documents that we requested. Subject to your still being admitted to the bar. Please note that for the record. Yeah. I mean, yikes. <laughs> the fury, the anger, the hatred. It's almost very very uncomfortable to watch that you know it made me think of another deposition case that was un you know another deposition that was really uncomfortable to watch uh and that of course is a case as relevant as we speak and that is donald trump here's just a short clip of donald trump if you've forgotten it and this has gone back a while because it's actually the e Jean carroll case that's in the court this week for the the payment the penalty phase here's donald trump himself in a deposition just like we just saw from roger stone Read the next, go ahead, that she's not my type. Yeah, because it's not politically correct to say it, and I know that, but I'll say it anyway. She's accusing me of rape. A woman that I have no idea who she is, 
It came out of the blue. She's accusing me of rape, of raping her. The worst thing you can do, the worst charge. And and you know it's you know it's not true too. You're a political operative also. You're disgrace. You're a disgrace. But she's accusing me, and so are you, of rape, and it never took place. And I will tell you, I made that statement, and I said, while it's politically incorrect, she's not my type, and that's a hundred percent true. She's not my. Yeah, he doesn't like being questioned, does he? He doesn't like being told that he's wrong, at all. Well. Once again, we've got the perfect guest to discuss this, right? Uh, the Eugene Carroll case, of course, in court right now. But I got a guy who's actually faced Donald Trump, faced him down, weathered the storm, and won their case. If you remember the Trump University case, there's a great new book about it. So let's just get on with the show. Oh man, welcome, welcome, welcome. It is a great to be back here in the studio with you. Man, last week's show, I don't know what happened. Matt, Matt's figured it out finally, I think. Uh, we had 550,000 views in or more. It's still going. God, I love you guys. Thank you, Midas Mighty. Thank you, Aunt Moxie subscribers. I, you just, it warms my cold, dark heart to see all of you guys making comments and saying hi. And uh, I really do look, even the people who hate me, I love you guys the most. <laughs> so it's great to have you here. I can't tell you. Well, the first votes are in in Iowa. We've actually started the presidential campaign. The, re the election season is here. There's no easy night anymore. We've been saying it's coming. It's coming. Well, gosh darn, it's here. Iowa was this week. Next week is New Hampshire. Uh, it's crazy. Um, they wasted, I think Vivek wasted $50 million of his own money uh, to come in distant fourth. That's awesome. Uh, you know, whatever. Uh, Congress continues to waste time and, and, and once again is going to the brink of a government shutdown because they refuse to make deals. Once again, you can't trust the House GOP leadership to, to stick to a deal. Uh, a lot of the drama, no. It, it, so it's, it's an interesting time, though, between these two, these primary dates, we're sort of shifting back to the courts again, right? Uh, a whole lot of court stuff came out this week. Uh, the drama, uh, you know, Donald Trump left Iowa and flew straight to New York for the penalty phase of his defamation case for, from E. Jean Carroll. As we record the show, and we're recording on Wednesday, people always ask me, as we record on Wednesday, he is literally in court right now. Um, this seemed like the perfect time to get a guest who's actually beaten Trump in court, uh, has a new book laying out how to do it. So I'm thrilled to have former prosecutor Tristan, Tristan Snell join the show. Man, Tristan, been dying to get you on the show for a while. I'm thrilled to have you, brother. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Really glad to be here. Tristan is a lawyer, legal commentator, served as assistant attorney general for the New York State, where he led the investigation and prosecution of the Trump University case and has a new book coming out this month right here on the stage. Uh, that's called Taking Down Trump. You can see right here. So and I've already read most of it. <laughs> And I loved it. And and what I found, you know, I expected a how-to book, Tristan, but what I found was a fascinating deep dive into not just the Trump University case, but these other cases. You bring up E. Jean Carroll, and it's been quite a it's been quite a week for that, right? He, uh, you mentioned that case. Um, how bad is this going for him? How bad is this E. Jean Carroll thing going for him? He, it's going very badly. He keeps on making it worse because every time he opens his mouth, he defames her again. Right. Uh, and and that is all going to get factored into determinations around what uh, he could actually face in terms of punitive damages. Right. Uh, so, you know, 
literally just a fancy word for like, what's the punishment beyond what are you, what are you, what are you uh, punishing the person for above and beyond what will compensate fairly the, the person who was hurt. Right. Uh, it's really about making an example out of the person. We just saw this in the case against Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. Uh, where there was a certain amount of damages that was considered to be the pro- appropriate compensation for Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss for being defamed by Rudy Giuliani. Uh, but the jury then turned around and added an additional, much larger amount in punitive damages. And one of the big factors there is, does the defendant actually... Are they, does it look like they're, they they have any remorse at all? Right. Do they continue to engage in the bad thing even after this? Even after uh, they're getting rung up for liability, uh, that is what I think we're going to see in the Carroll case. I think you're going to see a very large punitive damages award because he won't shut up. Right. He cannot figure out how to stop, and every time he opens his mouth, he's going to owe her even more money. And then he may try to see if he can get it knocked down on appeal, get that number crunched back down again. Uh, courts will shave some money off of uh, an award like that at, on the appeal, uh, but it's not its not going to be everything. It's not going to be like, if this jury turns around and gives Carol $60 million, $80 million, $100 million, which it might, right? you know, is, is an appellate court going to turn around and then crunch that all the way back down to like a million bucks. No, probably not. Like usually in that situation, they might lop off half of it so that she only ends up at 40 or 50, but it's going to be, but they're not going to take a hundred million dollar award and say that Trump only has to pay a hundred thousand dollars. That's not going to happen. He's not going to get crunched down that much. Wow. Uh, so I think he's in real trouble here. He is really, really, really dug a deep hole for himself and he digs it deeper every day. And and you you talk about in the book quite a bit. You talk about um, so what I, and you understand in the book is is you kind of lead the path. I mean, what I enjoyed about it is it, it so folks understand the book's framed as the twelve steps to beat Trump. But what I found fascinating as I read it is you lead us through the path. You mentioned Eugene Carroll. You mentioned your own. But so how did you get involved? And for those who haven't read the book yet and should walk me through what led to this and your path on this journey of dealing with Trump. Yeah. So my path was, you know, it wasn't that I was running around being like, I'm going to go get Donald Trump or I'm going to get some, you know, somebody who's right of center. No, it was that I showed up at the New York AG's office as a newly minted assistant attorney general in the consumer frauds and protection bureau. And on my second day there, my bureau chief walked into my office and I, I talk about this, I think, in the introduction to the book. And she walks in and she hands me uh, this case and, and, and a file for it and said, like, well, we, we've actually been investigating Trump University. Um, you know, I think my first reaction was probably to stifle a chuckle <laughs> because I was like, I can't believe that he actually had a university. Right. Uh, but then the next thing she said was very key to, to and it's very key for everybody to remember with all of this and because I really didn't think this is true for pretty much any one of these cases, I guarantee it with, with any of these prosecutors offices, the first thing that is going to happen is you're going to say, well, we think there could be something here, but we have to find out. Right. You don't start off by saying we're going to get him and we're going to find something to fill in the gap between what we have and what we need to get to, to nail him. No, you start off by saying could be something here could be a nothing burger. Right. Our first job is to actually go figure out what the heck happened. 
and let that dictate it. I was literally told there may not be anything here. Hmm. We're not really sure if this case has legs. Right. Go figure out if this case has legs. My first job was to go call up a bunch of New York consumers uh, that had attended Trump University, not the ones that had done complaints to our office or to other offices, uh, but just we, we, what we, one of the few things that we did have from Trump because they stonewalled us so much was a, was a big stack of all the enrollment forms. Oh. So we had the name and people had filled these out in longhand. So right. we had the name and the contact info for all these different people. So I just started calling them up. And that was how the case began in the fall of 2011, my involvement with it. Yep. Uh, and it was literally at, at the beginning was, did something really go wrong here or not? Yeah. And that was, and that's where it began. And you got some blowback as soon as you started calling, didn't you? You, you, you heard some stuff right away, didn't you? <laughs> the, 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 the outpouring I got was just crazy. I mean, people cried, people ranted. You know, I, I would say that most of my calls went, about an hour each when I actually did finally get the person on the phone. Um, you know, there's definitely a lot of calling and a lot of leaving messages and a lot of whatever, and then calling back and so forth and so on. Ultimately did a hundred interviews and it was just insane. And I didn't have to ask a lot of questions. I just yeah. had to say what happened and people would just pour, would just, would just pour out all of this information. And then all I had to do was basically follow up with, I needed to listen, yeah, take good notes and then follow up with not like, how did they really screw you? It wasn't like I was asking leading questions like yeah. you do on a cross examination. I was asking questions like, can you clarify that date for me one more time? Yeah. What was that person's name? Mm -hmm. So that, you know, it was very much just them going. Yeah. And, 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 and pouring themselves out. And isn't that a story with Trump? I mean, this guy has burned so many people over the years. I mean, we talked about E. Jean Carroll. Yeah. Um, and, and I saw there was a viral video that went, a video tweet that went out. It's an older one that came, it went viral again this week, talking about a guy, I don't know if you saw it, there's a guy talking to the camera about how a friend of his was a contractor, took a gig yes. with Trump. You saw that one, right? And I did. The, the, for those who haven't read it yet, the punchline is, this guy got half of what he was owed, paid off his subcontractors, paid off his family's bills, and took his own life. You know, it's awful. It's awful. And this is his business. Killed his it business. Killed his business. And we hear that story over and over. And you talk about right. in the second phase of your book about the investigation. And, and one of the things that really struck me is you said consistently in several chapters, the contractors are the key because he outsources everything, but he screwed he so many contractors, right? <laughs> and so, yeah. how, how did that play into your investigation? And how does that play into the things we're seeing now? Like, like we're seeing that with Mar-a-Lago, right? The Mar-a-Lago documents, right. cases. Yeah, that's exactly that is really right. a threat. I thought that goes all the way back to Trump University and, and well, all the way back to the seventies to now, right? And he screws contractors, and that right. was a, that was an opening for you with your investigation, correct? That was where we broke the whole thing open. Wow. Okay. Uh, and, and that's the whole, you know, that's it, kind of right in the middle of the book. It's, it's rule five. It's about going to go after these former vendors and business partners because they can be potential allies and they can break open your case. Right. So that's literally what happened in our case. So we had all of this consumer uh, material from the, you know, from the victims, um, which we then worked up into sworn affidavits. A lot of these people were brave enough to say, not only am I talking to you, but I will, yes, I will do a signed sworn affidavit under penalty of perjury. I will testify if I have to, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these people were like, look, I'm, I am scared, but we've got to do something. That was the refrain I heard from a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and mind you, one thing that's important before we go on is to note 
these were his super fans. Right. That's what they did it. Right. Like random folks. Right. That, that, and that, that right. might have been, you know, Trump skeptics. And mind you, also, this was all the way back in like Trump University did most of its damage between t- 2007 and 2010. So it's well before even the birther crap. Oh, yeah. Uh, Trump was not that political back then. He no. was, you know, he was on TV every week on The Apprentice. Uh, you know, he was in the he was in the tabloids and stuff a lot. Um, he was on TV a good bit. But he wasn't really regarded as being a political figure at all, right. or very little at right. that at that point in his life. Um, and but he was he, he was literally taking. But these were not people that were like kind of met on Trump or saw him as a as a buffoon or a carnival barker or whatever. These were the people who loved him. These were that's who he was targeting, and that's who showed up, and that's who he ripped off. Mm. And I still find a lot of parallels to this day with. What he did in Trump University is what he's doing at scale with MAGA. Yeah. Uh, if you know anybody who's a real MAGA diehard, they, they've been conned. Right. They have been tricked into thinking that this deeply selfish human being cares about them and cares about America when none of that is true. He only cares about himself. So I can look at some of these MAGA folks and say, look, you can have your right wing views. I may disagree with them. You can disagree. We can disagree on policies. We can disagree on worldview, lots of things. But the kicker is that where I will constantly go is, is that you may have those beliefs, but I don't think Trump does. And he definitely doesn't believe in you. He doesn't have your back. He's there to pick your pocket. That's what he's there for. He's, he's just a liar and a sociopath. Um, Even if you want to continue holding those beliefs, go ahead but he is not your champion. You think he is, but he's tricked you. And I think that's the thing that people need to remember. And then that it does extend to a lot of these vendors. Yeah. And he's been doing this for decades to people. He did it back when he owned his casinos in, yeah. in, in, in Atlantic City. So rule five of the book gets into all this. We had all this victim uh, material, but we needed to corroborate it. Uh, the victims were saying one thing, but then we thought it was too easy for the Trump people to say, well, that's not what any of the uh, instructors said at these seminars. Right. Because what you had was a seminar. It was often held in like a hotel ballroom. It was structured kind of like a class, but what it really was was like a motivational speaker wealth creation seminar. Right. Just wrapped in Trump branding. Right. And, the, you know, all the the victims were saying, well, I was told this, I was told this, I was told this. These things were all turned out to be lies then we needed to corroborate that there had been transcripts recorded of all of these sessions. Uh, there were, there, there were tapes that then were transcribed. They were doing it to maximize sales. So if they had a seminar that had a really good upsell rate, they would then share it within the company mm-hmm. to say like, wow, you got a huge conversion rate on this one. Everybody take a look, see what he was doing. Right. Uh, probably a pretty standard practice for this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, we had tried to get more of these transcripts from Trump and his lawyers, and they gave us five. There had been hundreds of these seminars yeah. held over this three-year period yeah. uh, and a bit beyond that. So we knew there were hundreds of transcripts lurking around somewhere. We just didn't know where to get them. Yeah. And finally, I had figured out which vendor it was that had done the transcribing. And we couldn't find them at first, took forever to track them down. I finally was able to. uh, And then I had also remembered that I had seen this guy's name in uh, emails that I looked at, where it turns out that he himself, and I'm not going to give away his name. Yeah, uh, I I have a fake name for him in the book. (laughs) 
uh, he and his, he and his little company have been screwed out of about $14,000, uh, as Trump university was shutting down, they just didn't pay any of their vendors. There you go. So rather than, even though Trump organization owned, even though Trump and the Trump organization owned and, and, and operated Trump university, uh, as a subsidiary, they refused to make good on the bills that were owed, that were due and owing when Trump university was shut down. They, they shut it down because they were getting hit up by so many AG's offices and consumer complaints that they decided to shut it down rather than continue it. That was in roughly the summer of 2010. Uh, so long story short, I finally get this guy on the phone uh, and I go through the whole sort of scene in the book. Uh, but the long story short is he was not going to help me. Uh, this guy had been a friend of one of the Trump university uh, executives. Right. And I don't think that he was super inclined to help me and he was not in New York state. So it was going to probably be a whole lot of difficulty to enforce the subpoena against him. We probably could have done it, but it would have been a whole thing and it would have taken forever. But then I was able to mention the, the fact that he had gotten screwed over himself. Right. And it was like, I, it was like, I'd flip the switch all right. of a sudden he's like, you know what? No, they never did pay me. It was actually one of the factors. And he had had to shut down his business Jeez. in part because of that unpaid Trump invoice. So, uh, he said, you know what? I have about 150 transcripts sitting here on my, on my, on my hard drive still. Where do I send them? Wow. And that broke open the whole case. It went from five transcripts to over 150. And it was just a treasure trove of material. It confirmed and corroborated everything that our victims were saying. Yeah. We had proof from the Trump people that this is in fact what their instructors had said, all of the lies that they were doing to get people to, to put up more money. Um, it was all, it was all correct. All and, everything the consumers were saying was true. And it just shows so that, it, that really broke people. open the whole case. Yeah. So years of burning people is, is coming back to yeah. him. And you, and you talked about rule two, um, how he has bought prosecutors off and, 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 yeah. and yeah, you know, I found it fascinating how you laid out just how, how long that the Trump organization has been investigated for faking their numbers in their real estate. The, you, you mentioned at length that the real estate inflation that, that Ivanka was involved in it and they, they got that, they kept buying off New York yep. prosecutors. I was shocked to see, of course, Greg Abbott's name and then Pam Bondi. I mean, t tell us a little bit about how he always avoided these prosecutions through sprinkling his money around. So, you know, the, the pattern for Trump for a long, long time was that he was able to avoid a lot of accountability through, I, I honestly think he, he's gotten worse at this as he's gotten older. Yeah, you say that in the book. He's, he's not as quick yeah, as he used to be. He's not as quick as he used to be with this, but also there's now so much, and now you have this, this group of prosecutors who are not going to get co-opted. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're not going to be compromised. Uh, but he was able to get away with it for a long time by proactively uh, going after these folks and donating either to their campaigns or the promise of future campaign donations or uh, donations to their favorite charity. Uh, and he was able to keep from ever from an investigation ever being opened to yeah, begin with. Inoculated, like, almost how, inoculate himself, right? Yeah, and that is how the truly uh, elusive targets manage to float above the law is they rig the system so that it works in their favor and they never never even get an investigation open to begin with or if one is open, they can get it 
they can get it shut down. So with a bunch of these instances, you had very suspiciously timed donations or promises thereof to these various prosecutors uh, and the matter right around the same time disappeared. So, you know, do the math. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. It's a great place to take a pause for our sponsor. We've got Real Paper sponsoring our show this week. We love that sponsor. Let's check out what they have to offer. Trees are a renewable resource, but, you know, not an unlimited resource. I mean, honestly, trees don't actually grow on trees, right? So everyday companies are clear-cutting force just to produce toilet paper. Trees and wood are amazing resources, but doesn't make sense to use them for a product we only use once and flush away. You know, those trees deserve better. That's why real paper uses bamboo to make their sustainable toilet paper. Not only does bamboo grow incredibly fast, you know, because it's a grass. It can be cut, harvested over and over again, just like the grass in your lawn. So when you use real, it doesn't feel like you're sacrificing trees or, you know, look, I'm a tree hugger. I admit it freely. If you guys follow me, you know I hike every day. I'm out in the woods. And to know we're cutting down these beautiful trees for toilet paper, it just doesn't make sense. So real in a lot of ways feels like an upgrade to me for my heart. It's always shipped free to my door. It's plastic-free shipping packaging. Again, it can schedule it. I can schedule it right on my right on the line. Subscription goes exactly where I need it, when I need it. I never have to worry about forgetting to buy anything at the store. Real is partnered with One Tree Planted. So with every box of real that you buy, they're funding like reforestation efforts. And if you've ever hiked in one of those places where they're putting new trees in, it's beautiful to see. And it needs money. So unlike other TP that cuts down trees, real is actually helping organizations to replant our forest and to grow our trees back. So look, real paper is available in easy, hassle-free subscriptions for an online purchase or a one-time purchase on their website. All orders are conveniently delivered to your doorstep with free shipping, 100% recyclable, plastic-free packaging. So if you head to Real Paper, I want you to go to realpaper.com slash Fred. You sign up for subscription using my code Fred. You're going to get 30% off your first order and free shipping. So that's Real Paper, R-E-E-L, P-A-P-E-R dot com slash Fred or enter promo code Fred to get that 30% off your first order and free shipping. So let's make a change for good this year, right? Switch to real paper, real is paper for the planet. And we're thrilled to have them a sponsor for this show. Thanks so much for the real paper sponsor show. It, it's, you know, it, it's just fascinating to me and kind of going back to something that I opened the show, you know, I don't, I don't know if you saw it. I opened the show with a clip from the, of Roger Stone, uh, you know, talking about having Eric Swalwell and Jerry Nadler executed right in media. I got that clip. It's sort of shocking to hear it. Um, but there's reports now we're hearing that this week that there's an investigation being opened. How dangerous? I mean, obviously he's just saying, oh, they're just words. How dangerous is this really for Roger Stone since I, I ran that clip at the start of the show? Yeah, so the problem for Stone is that yes, there is just words. Yeah. And yes, and but then there is the law on the books regarding conspiracy. Okay. And this has been very fleshed out over decades, centuries really of case law, uh, to distinguish mere speech or mere words mm -hmm. from actual conspiracy. So a couple of things to just sort of run through. One is that the the object of the conspiracy does not need to succeed or even be fully attempted in order for conspiracy to uh, exist. Okay. Uh, so it doesn't matter that no one actually fired a bullet or tried to place a bomb. Um, they might not have ever gotten that far, uh, but it doesn't matter that that is not 
a deal breaker right. for finding conspiracy. What if he was just having that conversation and nothing ever came of it and he was just running at the mouth, then that probably isn't conspiracy. So those are kind of your extremes there yeah. in the middle, which is where stone might have stumbled or, or bumbled himself into. Huh. Uh, and I actually, I shouldn't even use those phrases. I mean, this is a really dark and serious problem and a very it, malevolent deserves, actor. Yeah. And, and deserves some very serious investigation here. Yeah. Uh, even if it turns out that he didn't break any laws, we need to know. Yeah. You know, you don't just get to say that he shouldn't be investigated because he's a political figure. It doesn't work that way. That's what he's going to probably try to argue at some point. Right. Is that because of his close association with Trump that and Trump running for office, that thereby Stone should not be investigated. This is partisan witch hunt, blah, blah, blah. Here's what the law actually is, rather than the garbage that we're going to hear from him and his people, probably. Yeah. The law requires an overt act is the exact phrase. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and that can be anything. It's basically something other than the talking. Some other steps action needs to be taken. That action could be as simple as did they, did, did, did one of them, and by the way, it can be of anybody who then was looped yeah, in on the New conspiracy. So we know Sal Greco. So they're, so, so Sal Greco, we know about the two of them, about Greco and Stone, right? There could have been others. If any member of that conspiracy went and did something like, did they go look up what Swalwell's schedule was or what right. Nadler's schedule was? Did they go look into the feasibility of mailing an explosive device? Yeah. Did they try to get somebody's address, like right. their home address, whatever? Anything that they did to then... Like, well, let's see, we have our, you know, to-do list of like things we need to do to carry out this assassination. Did they actually get going on the to-do list? Mm. I mean, I know I'm kind of making light of it, but it's, it, it, that <laughs> is really kind of what it is. It's it like, is. Yeah. Okay. If you're going to be taking out these actions in order to pull off some crime, did they actually, you know, if it's that the conspiracy is to rob a bank, did they go and buy ski masks? Right. That's enough. Wow. That's an overt act. Wow. You went and bought the damn ski masks. Wow. Did they go case the bank yep. and walk around the block and figure out where are we going to put the getaway car, whatever. Any of that planning is an overt act as far as criminal law is concerned. So they might not have gotten very far down the road, and I hope they didn't because this is absolutely terrifying to think about. Yeah. But if, he, if, if they can actually prove that there was anything else done, whether it was by Stone or Greco or by anybody else that they sort of read into the conspiracy, then Stone's in deep trouble. Wow. This is not a joke. Like federal conspiracy law is like, it's not a joke and the penalties are very severe um, and, and it would be ramped up, ratcheted up higher because it's public officials. Yeah. It, it would be, this would be a severe, severe thing for him to have done if in fact he did it. Wow. It's just... It just makes, and he's a very bad person. And 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 going to those conspiracies, it does lead us back to the Trump case, right? The Georgia RICO case. Um, yep. A lot of those actors are making points that well, nothing, you know, we didn't stop the election, but you kind of touched on it right here in this conversation with their RICO law is the same thing, right? They didn't have to actually accomplish anything, and Don't they clearly did, they did overt things. They did go into the county and grab and look at the machines, right? So those there yes. were we've seen the overt acts, right? Am I accurate to assess it that way? Yes. Yeah. The fake elector scheme was yeah. an overt act. Yeah. Uh, definitely the coffee County uh, vote machine thing. That was an overt act. Mm -hmm. The call to Raffensperger, I would argue was an overt yeah. act because even though those were words, it was an action because it was, it was words pressuring a public official to break his oath. 
That's okay. what that was. And the other calls that he and other people placed to other election officials in Georgia and other states where they were trying to uh, get them to kind of fudge the numbers. Uh, you know, he, so he can say those were just words, but it doesn't work that way. Sometimes the, the kingpin isn't the kingpin's rarely the person who pulls the trigger. Right. The kingpin's rarely the person who 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 uh, flips a, flips the switch to detonate the bomb. Right. But so often the the crime that the big guy is going to commit is going to be words, but it's words that are themselves in action, and that's what they're going to be really hunting for with Donald Trump. Yeah. And then I think they're going to have. Yeah, I mean, it seems like Fonnie Wills has it now. I mean, if you notice the filing, I think yeah. there was a filing this week, some sidebar about her relationships with the special prosecutor. I mean, it, it does feel like spaghetti being thrown against a wall, hoping something sticks because the desperation, the desperation is real, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that gets into Rule 11 from the book, which is about Trump lashing out at opponents or the, or the prosecutors, the lawyers, the judges, yeah. Uh, yeah. and that you really just have to ignore all of that. You know, the, the thing I keep, the, the thing I've been saying lately is that at the end of the day, you've really just got to be a bulldozer. And a bulldozer doesn't care if it's being yelled at. A bulldozer bulldozer doesn't care if you tell it you're going to sue it. A bulldozer doesn't care if you're threatening it or its family. Like, you know, it, it doesn't care. You just you just keep going. You, you need to keep your head down and just push. Yeah. Because, because once, in my view, once he actually does engage in that kind of attacking, and I do believe that he probably had something to do with this Fonnie Willis thing. Yeah. It has his fingerprints all over it, in yeah. my view. Roger Stone, uh, too. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. And then, you know, I say in the book, it's a, ignore it. It means you're on the right track. It means that you actually got him. Like, you, right. you scored points. You scored hit points against him. He's lashing back out because you hit him. Mm. So you actually did hit the target. That's how you know. Because if he wasn't attacking you... He, he's not going to go attack you if you didn't actually if you didn't actually score hit points on him. Right, right, yeah, and then we see that so, in the election, right? I mean, he never criticized Vivek Ramaswamy until the night before the Iowa primary or <laughs> the caucus. I mean, he, right. you know, he was just he wasn't he wasn't probably landing blows. Had a little bit of data that yeah. Vivek might actually make a late run, right? Especially with the way the caucus system and Elon. Works, and remember, Elon think. was loving on him. I, I think I think that's what triggered right. him. I think Elon loving on Vivek is what triggered him to be honest with him. That, that you know, it could have had something to do there, and of course, we all we all know, I, or I think most political junkies know the whole system where the second the the the, the votes of people that are out of the running then get reallocated. Yep. So it's possible to be the, sort of the second choice or third choice person and make a surge because the low the people lower down on the on the list get freed up to choose a second choice candidate, a third choice candidate. That's the way, that's the way caucus system works. Yeah. Uh, so you actually can get somebody seemingly low in the polls, make a surge and come up with a big surprise on, uh, on caucus night. So they must've had Huckabee. some feeling that maybe the VEC had that possibility there yeah. and they just wanted to like squash it. Yeah. And, you know, you make a pretty strong case in the book as well of how much public pressure matters when it comes to taking on powerful people, yeah. how much public pressure matter not taking on Trump and how much matters as we go into these things. Um, and you, you made a really good point about the how that with the with the January 6th case with the pressure on Garland, you and you obviously are just a little bit of speculation. We're speculating. Nobody sues. <laughs> you know, that that the January 6th committee really did put pressure on Garland to appoint Jack Smith. I mean, and, and then we're seeing that right there. There's a lot of pressure now to hold Trump accountable in his 
and his, his uh, others. Um, where do you think that's going? I mean, we were, uh, the, we last week or a couple weeks ago, we had Mar- Mario Nicolaus. He was one of the um, attorneys for the the, the folks mm-hmm. in Colorado. I mean, we're seeing a lot of these things happen. The pressure is ramping up, but political pressure matters, right? I think it does. I think it matters a lot. I think it's been an under uh, an underregarded, uh, an underappreciated element for all of this. You know, I, I designed taking down Trump also as a bit of a citizen's guide yeah. so that we all can understand the role that we have to play in all of this, uh, whether that's on social media or writing letters or organizing or what have you. Uh, I do think it matters a lot. I think it mattered with J6 and I think it mattered with the Alvin Bragg, yeah. uh, Manhattan DA's office, uh, you know, uh, investigation and, and ultimately indictment of Trump, uh, where that looked like it was dead. There was a big firestorm of criticism. And then a year later, the hush money matter is back. And suddenly Bragg becomes the first prosecutor to do a criminal indictment of Trump. He actually beats out all of the other matters that we were looking at. So uh, I don't think that that would have been as likely to happen and maybe not likely at all had it not been for the groundswell of public opinion, uh, which was very, very vocal, uh, urging Bragg to reconsider and saying that people felt that he made a mistake. Uh, And so I, and the way I like to think of it is this, it's, you know, there's the facts and the law, there's the merits of the case. Okay. And in no way, shape or form by saying you can manufacture a case just based purely on what public opinion wants. It's not how, that's not how these things are supposed to work. And I don't think in any way it's how any of these current matters are working. Yeah. However, just having the merits is not a, uh, is not wholly sufficient to actually see something get brought. There's a courage factor that is really, really critical. And so the first third of the book is really about that with sort of focusing on the leadership element of it, um, including the part about Bragg and about the J6 committee. And my take is that if you don't have that, you got to have the merits, there's got to be evidence. And then you've got to have courage. And if you don't have both of those things, it's not going to move forward. And a lot of the reason why Trump got away with it for so many years was because of what I would sort of think of as like political timidity. Yeah. It's fear. Yeah, it's fear. It was fear of going after him. It was sort of a hesitation, like let's not poke the bear. Right. He'll counterattack. He can summon publicity at the drop of a hat. Yeah, we'll have this blinding light on us. We'll be put under a microscope. It's not worth it, especially when on the one side is fear, and on the other side is it looks like potentially a campaign donation might be available for you if you just play ball with him. Yeah. And I think that uh, we've now passed the tipping point. I think the Trump University case is what did it. Obviously, I'm biased, but I really think that was true. Yeah. I think the New York AG's office built this playbook. They did it with Trump U, then the Trump Foundation case yeah. uh, a couple of years later, and now you see it again with the Trump Organization civil fraud case. Yeah. This playbook and the just the the idea that there's this willingness to go after him now, like prosecutors are not afraid of him anymore. Yep. And neither are litigants. You, you see yeah. Eugene Carroll yeah. going in there and she's yeah. got a great legal team led by Robbie Kaplan. Yeah. And then you've got, uh, and then you, and then Michael Cohen has, has, has actually successfully won a couple of cases against Trump now, yep. including to get a bunch of unpaid fees yep. and including Trump uh, managing to dismiss Trump's, uh, you know, defamation case against, against Cohen. People are not afraid of him because they, and they now see that like, look, if you just keep pushing, you can actually beat him. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that's really key for people to see. And when you're talking about an elected prosecutor or even an appointed one, I do think the public opinion role is massive and it's something that we should all bear in mind. We need to be a constituency for justice yeah. at all times. You have to, we have to be actively holding the prosecutors themselves accountable so that they hold the bad guys accountable. Oh, I like that. That's, that's brilliant. And, and we're seeing it. And he is a wounded, he's a wounded now. He is taking hits. He's yeah. taking losses. And as you've said throughout it, he is, he is not who he was. He's not as, he's, he's lost an edge. He's not, there's no yeah. way to look at him in real and his behavior. He's, he, and he's, and he's also reeling. I mean, we're, there's a lot of cases. And, you know, my friend Dennis Aftergut and Lawrence Tribe uh, just wrote a piece on Slate this week talking about how yeah. Judge Aileen Cannon is quietly sabotaging the Dockman's case. And there's just a yeah. lot going on, right? You know, and, 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 and he appointed Aileen Cannon. And it kind of goes back. There's a lot of play there, right? That she was appointed, you know, after the election, for God's sake, or she was, you know, put up. Yep. Um, I think you're seeing it. I mean, is she going to succeed? Do you think in delaying that case, the election, or um, do you think? I almost feel like, like they mentioned, they think Jack Smith may be playing a long game to let her be because she's trying to be subtle. I think. What's what's your take on that? I think that's the last question I'll bug you with. Yeah, I mean, I think the kicker there is I do think that she is having some success in that. Yeah. Part of the key here is that we have to work backwards from from how all this could go because we know that we, we I think there's a gr- good reason to think that DOJ is going to be very wary to push these cases forward in September and October. Yeah, I worry deeply that they're going to have that sort of blackout period before the election where they're just not going to want to do this. They haven't said it yet that it will apply to these cases that have already been filed, but I'm worried that it could. Yeah, uh, and we need to be worried about that. So the way to think of this is you probably want to see Trump get sentenced before Labor Day. Yeah. Okay. If you, uh, ideally, if, 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 if the juries are going to convict, you want that you like it, those of us that want to see this happen. I think you want to see it happen by then. I think that the J six DC case is on track. And I think that Good. that one, I think that one can generate convictions by early May. And I think we could see sentencing by like August. Wow. Um, I actually think we could get there in time. Wow. I don't know if we're going to get there in time on the Florida case now. Um, Now that doesn't mean that it's not going to happen, but it may mean that we don't get where we ideally would want to get. But but I will say we could get a conviction before Labor Day on that one, but then, and then it may be that he gets sentenced after November. Um, I don't think that will have as much of an impact politically. I think when it really sinks home for people that a jury can, that a, you saw these very credible witnesses point the finger at him, including his inner circle, people like Mike Pence, Mark Meadows, B that a jury actually convicts him after a fair trial. And then C that there's actually a sentence levied and that he actually truly is going to prison. I think once that hits home for people, I think that there's going to be even some diehard Republicans and even some heretofore very diehard MAGA people that are, they're not maybe the core core base, but I think there's a sliver of people there that are going to, that are going to be like, yeah, I think that's where I get off this bus. Yeah, I mean that, and polls you know? say that. Polls say that. Even even polls say that. So even the entry polls. I mean, that NBC was touting poll yesterday, saying yeah. how sixty five percent of the people who went in Republicans said they didn't care, but thirty one percent did. You know, and that's right. a big number. And, and that's enough. You know, that's enough. And that's right, enough. Right. We say that all the time. And that's enough because ind- and yep. independents are very much the oh yeah, hundred percent. They're like hundred percent now. Believe. Yeah, right. So that's I agree. Right. And and you, you can also tell when you get it polled on whether or not he's immune. Right. The poll numbers there tend to show that there's like there's a pretty solid like two thirds majority of the country that is not yet convinced he's guilty, 
but that does believe that a he should be tried and b if he's convicted he should not be anywhere near public office yeah so that gives me hope I well, hope he just that doesn't it have the that way. Yeah, he doesn't have the wiggle room. I don't. I don't. I don't, believe, I don't believe that he does. No. I don't believe that he does. But Cannon's making this a little bit more difficult because, as a case, if I got to pick which case I wanted to go try, just in a vacuum, yeah, I would probably pick the Mar-a-Lago Open case. Shut. Yeah, I think it's. it's the, I think it's the most slam dunk of the cases in terms yeah. of like the evidence fits the crime like a glove, like it's just perfect. Yeah. So, but wow. there, but this has created a major problem. Maybe yeah, uh, hopefully they figure it out or th- that he is, you know, Jackson is letting her lead herself into a point where she'll be dismissed from the case. So, well, Tristan, man, Absolutely. I could go. We could talk for an hour here <laughs> or two hours. I, I, I probably have five more questions I'd love to ask, but I really appreciate your time. Man, what a great conversation. Love the book. And I don't say that very often. Can tell people where to find the book. We'll put it up on screen. Uh, tell us about where they can find you, but especially the book. And when does it come out officially? January 30th, I believe. It's January 30th is the release date. So we're well into the pre-order phase now. Now, uh, I, you know, I think there's going to be a second printing. Uh, wow. So if you want a hard copy, you probably want to reserve it now to make sure you get it right when the book drops. Uh, and then, of course, you can get it as an ebook, uh, and then it'll hit your devices on the 30th. Uh, but you go to takingdowntrump.com, uh, and then you can choose which bookstore you want to get it from. Uh, and there's also a deal there for getting uh, a dis- discounted signed copies. Uh, so that's fun as well. And yeah. you can find me all over social media at Tristan Snell. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be doing a bunch of other MSNBC and CNN and things like that. So, uh, you cool. know, I'll be, you'll be able to see me there as well. We got you first. <laughs> the Midas Mighty will love that. You know, I tell you, I, I, folks, and, and my, my my longtime viewers know I, I don't plug books I don't love and I haven't read and I love this book. I am taking it with me. I'm leaving here for Chicago now and I'm going to take that with me. It was just really great stuff. I mean, and it, it does paint a very effective picture of who Trump is and, and how we can beat him legally, which is probably going to be one of the best ways. So, man, I, I just can't thank you enough for joining us so early in the process and, and being part of your, uh, your, your new success through book. I hope I'm sure it's going to be a bestseller. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate it and uh, happy to help anytime. Great. Well, good talking to you. Good luck, man. You too. Take care. Yep. Man, what a great conversation, right? I mean, Tristan's brilliant. Uh, I've, I've been fortunate to be connected with him on in social media for quite a time. It's the first time we had a chance to talk. Uh, I, I don't kid when I say this. I really do enjoy the book. Um, I'm reading it cover to cover. That it is it is a fascinating way. And it reminded me of things I'd forgotten about the Trump legal uh, uh arc if you will uh so definitely worth doing well it's you know we're going to see a it's gonna be an interesting week ahead of us folks before you see me next time uh you know we've got the new hampshire primary on tuesday that'll probably further shake out the republican uh, competition uh we've got uh the government shutdown threat we're going to see a lot this week you know you just you're seeing it folks you're seeing it all the time how we cannot trust republican leadership to stick to a deal that takes care of the american people they're just not interested in governing they're just not. So we're going to have to fight. Now, look, things are better. OK, the, the numbers are really looking good for Mr. Biden right now. President Biden's President Biden's the polls are starting to show him winning all the time. Things are going our way, but the work has to be done. We will win. You know, everybody's getting excited about the Iowa caucus results, how Trump made a landslide. 50,000 people all showed up to vote for him. And that's no 50,000 out of 700,000 registered Republican voters. 700,000 registered Republicans exist in Iowa. Only 50,000 came out for the caucus to to vote for Trump. Okay, it's like 2.5 percent. So. He is weak. He's made it his thing that he's 95 percent of the Republican Party loves him. He is the king. And only 50% voted for him, 51%. So 
have faith. Doesn't mean we have to do the work. Folks, we're going to have to do the work. That's why, you know, as you know, I'm chairman of the Forgotten Democrats. Uh, we are really ramping up now. We're starting to send out emails again, and, and we're going to have a town hall soon. I'm very proud to be part of the Forgotten Democrats, uh, what we're doing there on the, na the national chairman, of course, uh, because our goal, again, is to help those those Democratic nominees in those tough places, the Democratic nominees who never even made $200,000 in, in, the, in the race in that district last time, didn't even the, the Republican didn't have any competition. As you've heard the number a bunch of times, 149 members of this Congress barely had an opponent. Uh, that is unacceptable. So it's our first year doing this. It's our first cycle doing this for Forgotten Democrats, but I'd love to have you join. It's very simple. You can see on the screen, ForgottenDemocrats.com. Or you can, uh, you can, or you can, uh, you can text uh, Fred to three three seven 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 and join our email list and find out what's going on with that. In the meantime, uh, things are getting interesting in life, as you know, as 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 we mentioned. Mike Flynn's still suing me. Uh, they've updated their uh, lawsuit, guys. You'll love hearing this one. They've updated the lawsuit and dropped two of the three tweets that he accused me of defaming him in. He's down to one tweet now. I don't want to tell you what that is, but it comes down to one tweet. Guess how much they're asking for. They want $150 million. Now, if you look at the show today, if you look at the show today, Tristan was talking about how Trump may win an astounding, you know, E. Jean Carroll may win an astounding $100 million, but the course may reduce that. that amazing $100 million. For all the things, the hundreds of comments, the hundreds of attacks he's made on E. Jean Carroll, I'm being sued by disgraced former General Mike Flynn for $150 million for one single tweet. And that's the MAGA system. That's what they're doing, folks. They're suing people to shut them up. They're suing people to make easy money, thinking my insurance company is going to give them an easy money. We fight back. Just like Tristan said, we, we weather the storm. I don't care what they throw at us. It's all false. It's all false. So you heard a great talk today about staying in the fight and how it's worth it. So with that, as always, you can find me at FP Wellman uh, on I am still on X. I know some people hate that, but there's, that's where the fight is. Uh, of course, you can always find me on threads. I'm really loving threads. FP Wellman official. And my Instagram has been getting a boost lately. FP Wellman official. As you know, our YouTube channel for the show is on democracy pod at on democracy pod on the uh, podcast on on uh, on YouTube, uh, on Democracy Podcast on YouTube, and on Democracy Pod on Twitter. We'd love you how you follow those channels too. Uh, you can get the show early. We're going to start adding a lot of our content that we've put on the Midas Touch uh, that's been there for a long time. It's hard to find. We'll start putting all of our content up on the on Democracy Podcast channel on YouTube, so you can find us all there. In the meantime, the fight continues, folks. I hope you're weathering the cold spell that's going through our whole country. I cannot wait to see you next week. Remember, like, subscribe, leave a comment, share it with your friends, say hi. In the meantime, let's keep up the fight.